Hey everyone, welcome to this episode of the Bible and Life podcast. In this episode, we're going to deal with the very real and relevant topic of adultery, lust, and sexual purity. Hey there, everybody. It is so good to be uh, together again here on the Bible and Life podcast. Uh, I was just talking to my wife this morning. It's just hard for me to believe that it's already August, uh, another week or so, and it's going to be the middle of August. And it's like, man, the summer is just flying by. It's just crazy how fast time is going to me. So hope you've had a great summer so far. And in the last few weeks of summer, hope you're able to enjoy some good time with family, maybe get away or relax and in some great way. My wife and I actually were just up in a little mountain town here in Idaho called McCall over the weekend with some friends who have a house up there. And we were able to go fishing and just relax. It was just wonderful and great to get away. My wife caught a couple really nice trout and I was super excited for her. So just really great to get away. So hope you can enjoy some time like that in a few weeks of summer that's left. All right, today we are still in Matthew chapter 5. We're working our way through the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, Jesus, if you recall the context, is really talking about what does it look like to have surpassing righteousness, righteousness that's greater than the religious leaders of his day. And he's been uh, giving some illustrations. We looked at the first illustration last week, that of anger and getting to the heart of violence in our world, that it's not enough just to obey the command not to murder if you want to have surpassing righteousness. Then you got to deal with that temper and you got to pay attention to anger. Well, in the text we're going to look at today, same sort of thing. Another illustration of what does surpassing righteousness look like? And he's going to get again to the heart of the issue and say, you've got to deal with stuff below the surface. You can't just deal with the behavior and the surface actions. And so let's jump right in here. Matthew chapter 5, we're going to pick up in verse 27, second illustration of what does surpassing righteousness look like? What does it entail? And Jesus again deals with one of the Ten Commandments, this time commandment number seven. He says this in verse 27 of Matthew 5. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. And that's command number seven of the Ten Commandments. You shall not commit adultery. And most specifically, the word that's translated adultery refers to sexual intercourse between uh, or with someone that's not your spouse. Uh, And Jesus is going to say that there's more to marital faithfulness, and more to sexual purity than just that. And that's really important. In fact, what Jesus does in the preceding paragraphs or preceding sentences is to give two illustrations of uh, ways to be unfaithful to your spouse, ways to be unfaithful to your marriage that go beyond just the act of sex with somebody who's not your spouse. And so if you want to have surpassing righteousness, if you want to have the kind of righteousness that God intends for you and that God designed you for, it's got to go just beyond that act. And Jesus gives the illustration or the example of looking to lust and divorce. We'll deal with divorce in our next episode. It's a sensitive subject, so uh, be prepared and look forward to that. Um, and just know that in context, it's an illustration of one of the ways, one of the most common ways we can be unfaithful to our spouse and to our marriage vows. And so that's what we have here, two illustrations of 
ways to be unfaithful to our marriage and our spouse beyond just the the literal, actual act of adultery. And so he says, you've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, here's the first, first example of, here's another way you could be unfaithful. But I say to you that everyone who looks on a woman to lust for her has committed adultery with her already in his heart. Let's just pause right there and reflect on some of the details of what Jesus is saying a little bit. Notice what he says there in verse 28. I say to you that everyone who looks on a woman to lust for her. Now, he's uh, addressing specifically the men in his audience, but we know that this issue, at least in our day and age, goes beyond just um, men looking at women to lust, that women can look at men to lust as well. And Jesus isn't trying to exclude that. He's just dealing with this issue on his terms and in his place. And so he's dealing with the issue of looking to lust. That way of saying it is terribly important. Uh, Everyone who looks uh, at a woman or on a woman, or in the case of a woman towards a man, anyone who looks at another person to lust for her or for him. That word or phrase to lust is purposive. That means it's stating the intent, the purpose of the look. It's not just noticing someone thinking, oh, she's good looking or oh, he's handsome. It's looking at someone with the intent to, for the purpose of desiring him or her sexually. That's the force of lust. It's to desire. And so it's the purpose. You look at someone for the purpose of uh, fanning into flame or gratifying some sort of sexual desire. You're looking for the purpose of desiring sexually. And so if you look on someone to lust for them, to desire them in that way, Jesus says, you have already committed adultery. You've already been unfaithful to your spouse, you've already committed adultery with her, with him, in your heart. In in your heart, there is a, a form of marital unfaithfulness and sexual impropriety, sexual impurity that has already occurred by the act of looking to lust. And that that is a way of being unfaithful to your spouse and your marriage vows. It's a way of breaking, violating the the seventh commandment um, in the Ten Commandments without physically having sex. In fact, it's actually uh, the the language used here very much is like the tenth commandment: "You shall not covet your neighbor's wife." And the word covet in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, the Old Testament was written in Hebrew, but in the Greek translation, what's known as the Septuagint, the word covet in the 10th commandment is actually the same word here that's translated lust. It's the word desire, epithemia in Greek. And so you desire them. You look at them in this way. And Jesus says, guess what? That's a form of adultery. That's a form of sexual impurity and marital unfaithfulness. There's a betrayal that happens there. And we know it's true. We know it's true that uh, spouses who discover that their their husband or maybe their wife um, has been um, mentally, emotionally, or visually 
looking at someone for the purpose of sexually desiring them, feel betrayed, feel like there's been an unfaithfulness. There, there is a form of what in the world are you doing there, right? We know that's true in the case, say, of pornography, that when wives find out their husbands have been looking at, at porn, there is a betrayal. Um, there is a sense of being cheated on. Even in that act, that's what Jesus is dealing with, that uh, if you're going to have a kind of righteousness that surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, if you're going to have surpassing righteousness and really fulfill God's design for your humanness and for your sexuality, if you're going to have that surpassing righteousness, well, then you're going to have to go beyond just the avoiding the legal act of, I never had an affair. You're going to have to avoid that. And you're going to have to have a pure and a faithful heart. Well, that raises the question, of why is faithfulness and purity right? And why is unfaithfulness and impurity wrong? Let's just think about what makes something right and what makes something wrong. This is really important. This is important for yourself and for your own uh, understanding of God and right and wrong. This is understanding, this is important for those of you who are parents and you have uh, older kids as they begin to enter into their teen years and they begin to wrestle with this and ask questions or they even begin to challenge us sometimes as parents on this. We need to really have an understanding of what makes something right and what makes something wrong. And in our case of this text specifically, what makes faithfulness and purity right and unfaithfulness and impurity wrong. And right off the bat, I want to I want to make sure we understand it's not right because it's in the Bible, or it's not wrong because the Bible says it's wrong. You try to tell that to a, a teenager who's challenging you, or maybe you happen to come home and you find out that your your teen has uh, had uh, sex with their boyfriend or girlfriend, heaven forbid, but maybe you find that out, and you try to tell them, well, you know that's that the Bible says it's wrong and that's why it's wrong, man, there's a good chance you're going to get pushed back on that. You might even get some sort of snarky teenage comment on that. And I'm not justifying their comment, but I do want us to think more deeply about what makes something right or wrong. And so it's not just right or it's not just wrong because the Bible says so. Um, the Bible is a record of right and wrong, but it's not what makes something right or wrong. So what makes something right or wrong? Well, ultimately, right or wrong stems from the character of God. Something is right because God is like that. And something is wrong because it goes against what God is like. Right and wrong flow from, stem from the character of God. So, for example... Lying is wrong and truth-telling is right because God is truth. Or in the case of our passage and our subject on this episode, faithfulness is right and unfaithfulness is wrong because God is faithful. Purity is right and impurity is wrong because God is pure and holy. So, ultimately... Right is right because of who God is, and wrong is wrong because of who God is. Now, there's another ingredient that's terribly important, and we have to remember this about our humanness, that we humans are made how, according to the Bible? 
We're made in the image of God. And so, in the biblical worldview, God is this way, and therefore we are made to be that way. And when we therefore do something that is against the character of God and thus wrong, not only do we offend God, we also damage and destroy ourselves. Again, the evidence is all around us. Just look at human experience. When we watch people who are going against the things of God, we see fallout and damage and devastation and brokenness and heartache everywhere. Well, that's because according to the Bible, we're made in the image of God. That's why Uh, As we said, truth-telling is right, and when we tell the truth, ultimately it's good for us. It is in keeping with who we are. It may be hard, there may even be some consequences of telling the truth because we live in a broken, fallen world, but it doesn't destroy our soul, and ultimately, healthy relationships, healthy human interaction depends on truth-telling. Well, the same is true with faithfulness and purity. Um, Faithfulness is ultimately not... Not just in keeping with the character of God, it's in keeping with our design as human beings. You, you use a rough analogy of a, a car, right? You would never put uh, water in the gas tank. I don't feel like spending $3 and whatever cents on gas. Uh, water is a clear liquid. I'm just going to put it, it would destroy your car. You would never put Hershey's syrup in your, you know, this is about the same consistency of oil. I'll put this in the crankcase. It wouldn't work. Why? Because your car's not designed to run on water in the gas tank and Hershey's syrup in the crankcase. Well, you as a human being, you're not designed to run on lying. You're not designed to run on impurity. You're not designed to run on unfaithfulness because you're made in the image of God. So God is a certain way. You're made to operate a certain way. And that's what makes right, right, and wrong, wrong. And therefore, when we look at uh, this text, faithfulness and purity, they honor God and they are the way you, you and I are designed to function as human beings. That is terribly, terribly important for understanding what Jesus says. Because when Jesus says this, this isn't just a religious arbitrary rule, some sort of religious arbitrary law. This is, this is good news. This is wisdom for us. This is telling us, look, this is the way you're made to function. This is the way marriage is made to function. This is the way society and life is made to work. This is good for you. And sometimes we look at Jesus' commands here and we think, Man, this is just some sort of arbitrary religious rule that I have to sternly figure out how to keep. But no, it's more than that. It's good for us. It's wisdom for life. And so when Jesus says that there's more to adultery than just the physical act, you can be unfaithful by looking to lust. That's good wisdom for how your life is meant to work. And you need to trust him on that. That's part of having faith or confidence in Jesus is trusting that he, he actually knows this is good for us. This is wise for us. It's appropriate to our design as human beings and the way life is designed to work. In fact, there's so many uh, lies and falsehoods that we believe when, we, when we're in bondage to or in a society like ours where there's so much... Um, Uh, sexual impropriety and sexual impurity in our life. There's so many lies and falsehood we believe. I actually was having a conversation with a guy, Christian fellow, who felt like if he, if he kind of, kind of 
disciplined his sexual desire so that he didn't have temptation to look to lust. In some sense, he would lose his manhood. That's a falsehood. That's a lie. As if sexual desire gone to seed is what makes you a man. No, Jesus says, no, that's not the case at all. Sexual desire in its proper place and faithfulness in a pure way, that's what makes you a man because that's the way you're designed to function. Uh, another lie and falsehood that sometimes we believe is, well, you know, when you just look to lust or you look at a little porn, no one gets hurt. We just know that's not true. The whole issue of sex trafficking, rape, and all of that, uh, and sexual harassment, rampant in our culture, absolutely rampant in our culture. People get hurt when sexual desire is not disciplined and contained and used the way God designed it to be used. That is evidence that Jesus knows what he's talking about. That is evidence that faithfulness and purity is good, wise, and right, and unfaithfulness and purity is wrong. And so Jesus says, look, if you have been, if you're looking to lust, that's a form of impurity and unfaithfulness. Now, what Jesus does next in this passage is he goes on to say, and you need to deal with it. You need to deal with it in a very serious way, but he does so with with what might be uh, understood as hyperbole, very extreme direct language to get our attention and to tell us how serious this is. And we should take this seriously. We know, again, read the news reports, look at the problems in our society, see the damage that uh, sexual desire gone to seed has done in our society. And we should hear what Jesus says next and say, yeah, you're right, Jesus. We need to take this very seriously. So listen to what he says and the extreme language he uses in this. Verse 29, if, if your right eye makes you stumble, tear it out, throw it away from you, for it's better for you that one of the parts of your body perish than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand makes you stumble, cut it off and throw it away from you, for it is better for you that one of the parts of your body perish than for your whole body to go into hell. Now, real quickly, let me just make sure we're, we're painfully clear that Jesus isn't meaning this literally. What Jesus is saying here is uh, very hyperbolic, extreme language to make a point. It's similar to what we say when we say, man, I could eat a horse, or man, I wrote till my hand fell off. We're using hyperbole to make a point. That's what Jesus is doing here. And, And what he's saying in a nutshell is our response to, um, unbridled sexual desire that we find in ourself, our response within ourself when we recognize, man, I got to get a handle on this. It should be serious. It should be decisive and it should be bodily because we only experience life through the body. And obviously uh, sexual sin is very much a bodily thing. So our response should be serious. It should be decisive. And it should be bodily. In other words, we should be willing to do whatever it takes. We should be willing to rearrange our life however we need to. We should be willing to do whatever concrete bodily action we must in order to to, uh, curb our sexual desire so that we can be faithful and pure. Now, let me just add a few more thoughts to that. Um, the, The... the issue is not just, you know, stifling or controlling or somehow, oh, I just got to get a grip on my sexual desire. The, the issue is 
that our sexual desire actually needs to be changed. And we do bodily action for the purpose of retraining our sexual desire so that it now is pure, faithful, and holy. Uh, The Apostle Paul makes that point in what I think is a very, very important passage, particularly for any of you who are struggling with sexual desire. And that passage is 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 3 and following, where, where the Apostle Paul says, that we should each of us should learn how to possess our own body sexually speaking in a way that's holy and honorable not in passionate lust like the pagans who don't know God that what needs to be changed is our desire that we're not consumed with overwhelming sexual desire and Jesus believes apostle Paul believes that's possible that is possible And the point of what Jesus is saying is here is, how serious are you about having a faithful and pure heart? Are you willing to take serious, decisive, bodily action to have a faithful and pure heart? Well, what does that mean? What does that mean? Well, that means we should should do some concrete things that would help us grow and to have a more faithful and pure heart. So maybe that means you need to pay attention to your triggers. When are you most tempted um, to look to lust? When are you most tempted uh, to indulge um, impure sexual desire, unfaithful sexual desire? What are the triggers for you? All right, if you can identify those triggers, then what do you need to do differently to either avoid those triggers um, or what do those triggers say about what's going on in your heart? Um, maybe another thing you need to pay attention to are what lies are you believing? Maybe it's lies about what you deserve. I deserve that and my spouse isn't. Maybe it's lies about where intimacy is found. Maybe it's stuff you're not even aware of. Um, maybe it's lies about um, the the the, the the amount of love you need and you haven't found your intimacy and your love in Jesus. What lies you believe? Maybe it's lies about no one getting hurt. Um, I would also say that if you are serious about wanting a faithful and pure heart, then you need to stoke the fires of your intimacy with Jesus. And you need to fan into flame your closeness and your satisfaction with Jesus. That ultimately his love for you and intimacy with him is the only thing that's going to satisfy our hearts. And so fan into flame those fires by spending time in prayer with him and reconnecting with him throughout the day and opening your heart to his love for you and expressing your appreciation, admiration, and affection to him. Perhaps you need to find a wise spiritual mentor who's just a little further down the road than you who could speak wisdom and truth and guidance and encouragement and support and accountability into your life. I also want to say this. If you have if you have experienced uh, sexual sin and you, you feel guilty or ashamed of that, well, then you need to realize there's grace for you. Sometimes in the church, we've turned sexual sin into the big sin, the great sin. The fact is, is even in context here in the Sermon on the Mount, sexual sin is just one sin uh, in a list of others. It is a, a way of violating your humanity and the way you're designed to function, just like anger is. Just like contempt is, just like greed and gluttony are in the teaching of Jesus. And sometimes in the church, we have made sexual sin to be the big sin and the great sin, and we've minimized the other sins. No, there's plenty of us who 
need repenting and we need grace and forgiveness. And so if you find yourself struggling with sexual sin, I would encourage you to find a wise, gracious, uh, spiritual mentor who can speak wisdom and truth and grace into your life. And I would encourage you to to maybe even right now, if you listen to this podcast, just just pray and confess your sin to Jesus and know this, that Jesus himself is gracious and he is kind. And the promise for, for us is if we confess our sins, 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful to cleanse us from all unrighteousness and to forgive us all our sins. And so there is grace for us and we can be both forgiven and cleansed. And the reality is sin grows in the dark but it shrivels in the light. And so bring it out into the light. Confess it. Uh, Find a wise spiritual mentor to help coach you and guide you if you're really struggling with it. And grow a faithful and pure heart because that's the way you're designed to function. All right, I know there's a lot in there and that's a really difficult and, and sensitive subject. Man, I would love to share more thoughts with you. If you got any comments or questions, please feel free to reach out to me and email me. Uh, Thanks for for being with me today on this episode of Bible and Life. Go walk with Jesus, fan into flame your, your love and your affection for Him. Let His love satisfy your soul so that you can grow a pure and faithful heart. God bless you guys. We'll see you next time on Bible and Life.